Good morning. Um, we're going to talk about God's providence today. I want to encourage you to open your study guide. You can kind of follow along. I want to begin by telling you a story. Actually, Anthony DeMello tells the story about a poor, aged Chinese farmer. He had a single horse, and he depended on this horse for everything. The horse pulled the plow. He drew the wagon. It was the sole means of transportation. One day, a bee stung the horse, and in fright, he ran off into the mountains. The people in the village heard about him, heard about it, because he went and searched for the horse, couldn't find him. So when they came by, they said this, We are really sorry about your bad luck in losing your horse. The Chinese farmer just shrugged and said, Bad luck, good luck, who is to say? A week later, the horse came back, but not alone. He was accompanied by 12 wild stallions. And so he thought, wow, this was amazing. He was able to corral all the animals, and it turned out to be this unexpected windfall. People in the village heard about it, and so they came by and said, Congratulations on your good luck, this bonanza out of the sky. The old Chinese farmer just shrugged once again and said, Good luck, bad luck, who is to say? The only son of the farmer decided to make the most of the good fortune, and so he would break the horses so they could sell them and, and make money. But in the process, he was thrown off one of the horses and broke his leg. When people in the village heard about that, they came to see him and offered their, their sympathy and words of encouragement, and they said, we're sure sorry about the bad luck of your son getting hurt. The farmer, as you know, said, bad luck, good luck, who is to say? Two weeks later, war broke out between two provinces in China. Army came through demanding that everyone under the age of 50 enlist. Because the son was injured, he did not have to go. As it turned out, it saved his life because every soldier from that village was killed in battle. A certain event may have every appearance of evil at the time it occurs, like that valued horse running away or maybe the leg getting broken. And yet in the mysterious unfolding of life, what seems so bad or painful or just negative at the moment can turn out to be something good. Had the horse not run off, the new horses wouldn't have come. Had the son not broken his leg, he would have gone off to war and died. Therefore, the farmer's reaction maybe had some merit to refuse to hand down the ultimate decision about the, the value or the verdict of things until they had run their course. What about luck? Is there any such thing as luck? Good luck? Bad luck? Is it okay to, to tell somebody good luck, to sign it in a card, good luck? Is it okay? As Christians, is it okay for us to, to talk about luck? And what about karma? Is karma real? Is that of God? How do you explain that? And while we're asking some difficult questions, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? We've all asked that question. We hear the reports about maybe some young folks are out driving and, of course, they're drinking and... And we kind of, if we don't say it, we at least think it, you know, reap what you sow. But what about my friend two years ago who buried his 15-year-old daughter because of a car wreck, no drinking, broad daylight, doing nothing wrong? 
Was she reaping what she sowed? How do we make sense of these things? Because it happens all the time. And sometimes we speak out of both sides of our mouth. Why do bad things happen to good people, decent people, Christian people? There is a doctrine that helps us understand this. If it doesn't answer every question, at least it provides the only possible foundation for beginning to understand. It's the providence of God. In the book of Esther, you know, the name of God is not mentioned. And so that's pretty obvious when you read through there and you wonder, wait, what, what happened? In fact, some even say it shouldn't be in the Bible, and they argue for that. Kyle Butt wrote an article, Why is the book of Esther in the Bible? He says this, God operates in many different ways. In the book of Exodus, for example, we read about God working through Moses to part the Red Sea, to turn a shepherd's rod into a serpent. During the New Testament times, God gave Jesus power to heal all manner of sickness, cure blindness, even raise the dead. But miracles, he says, were the only one way in which God worked. He also worked and continues to work through providence, which means that he uses natural laws to accomplish his varied purpose. In the article, he references Acts 7, 14, 17, where the Apostle Paul explained that God gave, quote, rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, unquote, thereby filling their hearts with food and gladness. And he asked the question, how had God given them such blessings? Did he miraculously drop apples out of the sky or turn stones to bread? No, he used the natural forces of this world to accomplish his purposes. God is always at work behind the scenes to make sure that his ultimate will is accomplished. Today is our last lesson in this home Bible study series about the attributes of God. In this study, we've been learning about God. Who is he? And we've started with the wrath of God. We studied the holiness of God. We talked about the silence of God. We did a, a lesson about the will of God. We talked about God's faithfulness, the love of God, God's power. We talked about God's name, I am, and then last month we talked about God's omniscience. Today we want to talk about his providence. But what is providence, really? How do we define it? Well, look on the screen on your outline. You see there, our English word providence goes back to Latin. Two words, you see it in the word, pro and video, which really put together means to see before. Though that word providence is not found in most modern Bible translations, it is biblical. Here's one definition. God's gracious oversight of the universe. And think about it, every one of those words is important. God's providence is one aspect of his grace. And that oversight means he directs the course of the affairs. And that word universe means that he is aware of the big picture as well as the small picture. God's gracious oversight of the universe. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about how God was in control of everything and aware of everything. The providence of God and its working in our lives can be easily misunderstood, though. And that's why we want to study this in more detail today. The Latin word means to foresee, but there's also a corresponding Greek word that does appear in our Bibles. The Greek word means forethought. Acts 24, verse 2, the Apostle Paul is called before Felix, the governor, and it's translated as foresight here. And it's applied to Felix, not to God. Paul is called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. He says, we have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. So that's the word, as it appears in the Bible. Also Romans 13, 14, here it's translated provision in the New American Standard. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. 
So this forethought or foresight, they imply um, a future end, a, a goal that you're striving for, a definite purpose and a plan for getting there. Providence is usually described to talk about God as he takes care of his in natural causes. You're going to put that in the blank there. God's care through natural causes. Kind of in contrast to his miraculous intervention. And the word providence has come to use to signify the preparation and the care and the supervision that is to guarantee the future result that God has in mind. Yes, it literally means foresight. But generally, it's used to describe God's preserving and governing all things. Now, providence teaches us a couple of things, just again by way of introduction. First, God cares about the tiniest details of life. God is aware, not just aware, but he cares about them. Nothing escapes his attention. In fact, with God, there is no big or nothing small. He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He keeps track of the stars in the sky, the rivers that flow into the oceans. He sets the day of your birth, the day of your death, and everything that happens in between. This is a part of who God is. Secondly, he uses everything and he wastes nothing. God makes no mistakes. There's no oops with God. There's no, I didn't see that coming with God. He can take the most senseless tragedies and use them for his good. And then third, God's ultimate purpose is to shape his children into the image of Jesus Christ. And sometimes that happens best in the most difficult circumstances that we go through. There are a number of scriptures, but again, just by way of introduction, I put a couple on the screen. Acts 17, 28. Look at these words and how it talks about. The word providence isn't there, but the concept is surely there. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. Colossians 1, 17. In him all things hold together. Hebrews 1, 3. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart a man plans his course. But the Lord determines his steps. And in Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And here's something to think about. The doctrine of God's providence is really a combination of other things that we know about God. Like his sovereignty. God is in control. And here's a biblical word that sometimes makes us squirm. Predestination. Predestination is kind of wrapped up into this providence. The best definition to me of predestination is he did not predestine that his children would be obedient, but that the obedient would be his children. And then wisdom. Wisdom is in there too. God makes no mistakes. And then ultimately, it's kind of all wrapped up in his goodness. All that happens is for our good. That's what God wants. God wants our best interests. Now, you could further explain God's providence falling in two categories. Um, this widespread care and supervision, you could call that God's general providence. Now, there may be a better word, and if, if so, share it with me, because I was trying to figure out how do you describe these. But to me, the best term for that is just the general providence. And this is available to all of creation. In fact, you fill in the blanks, the first one is this. God's general providence extends to the natural world. And a couple of verses there. Look at Psalm 104, verse 14. He makes the grass grow for the cattle, the plants for a man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. 
Psalm 135, 5-7. I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases Him in heaven and on earth. In the seas and all their depths, He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from His storehouses. We mentioned Acts 14, 17 earlier. Look at the verse. Yet He has not left Himself without testimony. He has shown kindness, given you rain from heavens and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So this general providence extends to the natural world, but also more specifically to the animal world. Look at Psalm 104, verse 21 and following. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. The man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Levithian, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. Do you see the providence of God in here? When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. So God's general providence, it, it occurs to the animals as well. Matthew 10, 29, Jesus said this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And of course, thirdly, it, it applies or extends to humanity. Both good people and evil people. Job 12, 23 he makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. And Daniel 2.21, we're told he changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. And you remember Jesus' words, Matthew 5.45. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So there's this general providence that is for everything and in everyone and all of his creation. But there's also a providence for those who follow God, who choose to obey Him. So the Bible teaches about His special providence. Look at a couple of verses here to describe this, this special care, this special intervention for those who follow Him and obey Him. Psalm 37, 23 and 24. If the Lord delights in a man's way, He makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with His hand. Proverbs 3, 6, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Romans 8, 28, maybe the most famous verse we think of in the Bible, talking about providence. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. What does this mean? What does this look like? Well, here's a couple of things to keep in mind when looking at this providence. Number one, kind of a repeat, but our ultimate goal, the ultimate goal is our spiritual good. Not necessarily our material good. Sometimes we get that confused. Material blessings may come to us as a result of God's providence, yet He may allow difficulties to happen. Health problems, money problems, relationship problems, even more kind of problems. Whatever He deems suitable for our benefit. So we have to conclude that his ultimate goal is our spiritual good. Remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? God didn't take it away. He asked three times. But God allowed it to stay because it was for his spiritual benefit. Another time his ship was shipwrecked. 
were about to shipwreck. And he got a voice from the angel, you remember? And the voice was, they're going to make it, no one's going to die, but they still had to wreck. God was taking care of him. Number two, we should not presume that in all things it's the result of God's special providence. And this is where we sometimes speak where we shouldn't speak. I think it's true that some things happen to us are just accidental or just coincidental. I think we need to be careful to give God credit for things that he didn't do or blame him for things that he didn't do. To think through it. I think some things are the direct result of Satan's activity. Barry did a great job reminding us of that truth last Sunday. If you weren't here, get a copy of the CD or listen to it online. Some things may just be the consequence of evil people. For example, we talked about drunk drivers. Please don't blame God for that. That's not God's doing. Of course, God's special providence helps us to overcome anything that happens to us. But number three, God's special providence requires our cooperation. I don't know if you think about it this way, but this is a key part of providence. This promise of God's, especially the special care, doesn't mean that we just sit back and wait for it to fall from heaven. I think Daryl Trimble helped us to see this Wednesday night in our study. We were kind of going back and seeing where the children of Israel were crossing over the Jordan and how the priest had to step into the water before the water separated and it was dry ground. He didn't separate the ground and say, there you go. They had to take a step. And we see the same thing with God working with people, warning us to be involved with it. For example, even for us, we were to pray for and even work for our food. When Jesus was teaching us how to pray, he said, give us today our daily bread. But the Bible also says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. So don't pray to God for food, and then don't work for it. So he will take care of you, but he wants you to be a part of it as well. So God graciously provides for his creation both in general, but then also in, in special ways. The latter, of course, being for those who are walking with him. And with all that in mind, let's do a case study, a quick review. What about Joseph? Think about the life of Joseph. We just studied him in our, our study of the story a few months ago. But just a real quick recap. Joseph, the son, favorite son of his father Jacob. Because of that, he was the object of envy among his brothers. You remember the story? One day his brothers conspired to sell him into slavery to the Midianites. They, they did just that. They splashed his coat of many colors with blood. His father assumed that he was dead. Meanwhile, Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Midianites, then sold again, ended up with Potiphar, the head of Pharaoh's security force. Genesis 39 tells us that Joseph gained favor with Potiphar because the Lord was with him. Every day, Potiphar saw good things happening and eventually put Potiphar in charge of his whole household, everything. This was such an honor for this Hebrew slave. But he wasn't just competent, not just a good worker, Obviously, he was good-looking. Potiphar's wife came on to him and made this sexual affair proposal. Joseph refused, pointing out he couldn't sin against his God. She continued. You remember? He got away but left his cloak in her humiliation. She accused him of rape. So he ends up in prison. In prison, he gained the respect of his fellow prisoners and guards. And again, it happened because the Lord was with him. 
Remember Pharaoh's cupbearer and the baker were in there with him and they had the dreams, they couldn't interpret, so he interpreted the dreams that the baker would lose his life and sure enough it happened. And the cupbearer was able to get out of prison and Joseph, remember his request to the cupbearer, remember me when you get out. But did he? Not right away. It was a couple of years later. He finally did remember because the Pharaoh had some dreams that he couldn't interpret. Joseph interpreted the dreams, was rewarded, and you remember the story, he was made basically prime minister of Egypt. And not bad, again, for a Hebrew slave who had settled in this foreign land. But eventually the famine came on the Near East. Jacob told his sons to go to Egypt to buy some grain, so they go. So his brothers come and meet him, but they don't know it's him, not at first. Joseph finally, after two different times, reveals his identity. They're shocked and then scared because they betrayed him. What's he going to do? He's in a position to take revenge. He easily could have, but Joseph doesn't do that. Look on the screen. Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8. Listen to these words. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me, but God. Don't we love that? Isn't that good? But that's not the end of the story. The brothers go back to Canaan. Their aged father tells Joseph he's still alive. He, he, he struggles to believe it, but he, he goes. He makes the trip. He's reunited with the son. He meets Pharaoh. Pharaoh gives them their own portion of land. They live there and prosper for years. And then Jacob dies at age 147. Now, now the truth. It's Joseph and his brothers. And they're scared. Do you remember? And they tell Joseph, oh yeah, before dad died, he said to be kind to us. That's what the Bible says. To me, it sounds like somebody's scared. Now that dad's out of the picture, maybe his true colors will come out. And they do. Listen to Joseph's response. These are the words of a man who believes in the providence of God. Genesis 50, verse 19 through 20. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I remember it best from the King James Version. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And both sides of that sentence are equally true you meant it for evil. What the brothers did was indeed evil. Their hearts were full of evil. They wanted him dead, you remember? That's where it was. And, and Joseph doesn't sugarcoat the truth. He doesn't say, oh, it's okay. You didn't mean anything. Yes, they did. They wanted him dead. They are 100% responsible for their sin. But the other side of that sentence is equally true. God meant it for good. This doesn't mean that evil isn't evil. This doesn't mean that God made it happen. It just means that God is able to take these evil actions of men and use them to accomplish His good will. Joseph saw this invisible hand of God at work in his life. 
He understood that behind his conniving brothers who hated him at the time, God was working not just to save his life, but to save his people, to save all kinds of people. And he orchestrated the whole affair. God was in charge. I put in your notes the phrase, at just the right moment. Joseph was saying, though your motives were bad, God's motives were good. And though it took years, and can I say it again, years of horrible circumstance, of not knowing, okay, 12 more years and I'm out of here. He didn't know that. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. But he's looking back on it now. And in the end, Joseph saw the hand of God behind everything that happened to him. And think about the implications of this statement. At just the right moment. At just the right moment, his brothers threw him in the pit. At just the right moment, the Midianites came along. At just the right moment, he was sold to Potiphar. At just the right moment, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. At just the right moment, he met the cupbearer. At just the right moment, the cupbearer remembered. At just the right moment, Pharaoh called for him. At just the right moment, he was promoted to prime minister. At just the right moment, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt. At just the right moment, they meet their brother Joseph. At just the right moment, Jacob's family moved to Egypt. At just the right moment, Pharaoh offered them the land of Goshen. At just the right moment, they settled there and prospered. All of this happened at just the right moment. Isn't that amazing? And in all of this, mark this one down, God never violated anyone's free will. He's working at every step. Everything happened so that God could save his people. That's what Romans 8, 28 means. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, to those who have been called according to his purpose. What does all this mean? We can sit in a church building and talk theory. But what about in life? How do we make it real? We're going to ask these questions tonight and kind of discuss it more. But I want you to get this. Number one, providence frees us from bitterness. Providence frees us from bitterness. This is clearly the message of Genesis 50, verse 20. If ever there's anyone who had a right to get even, it was Joseph. Now, granted, he was a little naive, maybe a little full of himself, but he didn't do anything to his brothers to deserve death or to be sold into slavery. We get bitter because we doubt God's goodness. We get bitter because we don't see his invisible hand working in our lives. We wrongly assume that God's not listening to my prayers, that God doesn't care, He's not involved, and we get angry, and we take matters into our own hands. If you really believe that God is at work in your situation, providence, you can step back. Your heart is not full of bitterness because you believe God can do whatever he wants to do. Number two, providence gives us a new perspective. It gives us a new perspective, especially, you might even put in parentheses, in our tragedies. That perspective might be stated this way. 
God is involved with us even in the worst moments of life. Even in the worst moments of life. I believe that, there, that in the great issues of life, we don't have an answer to the question, why? Why did this happen to me? We don't know. We don't know why my spouse got sick. We don't know why we lost our life savings. We don't know why God didn't intervene when we were being abused. God, where were you? These are not made-up hypothetical situations. These things really happen. And most of the time, we are left in life to wonder why with no immediate answer. Sometimes we think we've got the answer. But who would dare step up to a young mother and explain why a baby was stillborn? Who would go up to that spouse walking away from the grave and explain why they had to die? We dare not speak up at times like that. But is that those moments of life where God's providence, the understanding of his providence is so crucial? See, providence doesn't tell us everything we'd like to know about the mysteries of life, but what it does assure us is that God is there, he's listening, he knows, and he is in control. Even in our darkest moments, in a way we cannot see, because of God's providence, we keep Believing, and he can bear the burden of all of our unanswered questions. Which brings me to number three. Providence gives us courage. You might put in parentheses to keep us going in hard times. Because God is there, because God is in control, because God knows, because God understands. It gives me courage, even when life is falling apart. That's what providence does for us. It doesn't answer every question. It doesn't make our problems go away. It doesn't give us an easy road or an easy out. But it does tell us that in the middle of those times, there is a purpose. There is an end goal. That these seemingly random events that seem to be hitting us right and left, they're not so random. God is designing something beautiful out of which something grows that only He can see now. And one day we'll see. Life is hard. You've heard the statement. Make no mistake about it, but God is good. I mean, both of those statements are true all the time for God's children. The doctrine of God's providence at work in the most difficult times of life. If God wasn't there, we'll lay our loved ones in the ground. This pain is not being worked out when they're taken from us, we're in the middle of that pain, then there's no hope for any of us. That's the reality of it. But if he is there, if he is there in the middle of our pain, then we have confidence and we have courage. And here's number four. Providence forces us to make a choice by faith. Think about that. Providence forces us to make a choice by faith. The older I get, the more I believe that faith is a choice more than a feeling. You choose to obey. There are many times where I don't feel like believing in God because the circumstances are so screaming the other way. But faith is a personal choice that we make to believe that God is good, that God is to be trusted, that God is in control, that God does whatever He pleases in any situation. And faith rises above feelings to choose to believe. 
And then number five, I think this helps us more than any. Providence helps us to understand why Jesus died. I end here because this is it. Listen to Peter's amazing words from a sermon on the day of Pentecost. You remember, on the day of Pentecost, he's, he's preaching to people, and in the crowd are the very ones who were guilty of killing Jesus. Acts 2.23, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Does that sound like providence to you? And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Again, both sides of this is true. Jesus died by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. The cross wasn't an accident. This wasn't because the disciples didn't get it. It wasn't because there wasn't enough of a following. It wasn't because he couldn't get his kingdom to take root. It was a plan. But who crucified him? It wasn't God. Evil men crucified him. Remember, that's who Peter is preaching to. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. His death was no accident. God ordained it. He planned it. He orchestrated it. Yet the men who crucified him were guilty of the most heinous crime in the history of mankind. They were morally guilty. They are the ones who did it. And yet it happened because of God's divine plan. See, God's providence is best understood at the cross. A.M. Overton wrote these words. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark, and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift, and plain it all he'll make. For through, through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. In the end, when it's your time to stand before the Lord, that will be your story. He made not one mistake. You may not can see it now. We don't understand it all here. But until that morning comes and the sunlight of God's presence fills our faces, we move through this dark, fallen, sinful, painful world and believe with all of our might that God is good and that He makes a way. And in the end, we'll say with all of God's children, as we look back on our life, Romans 8.28 comes clear like never before, and we'll be able to say he made not one mistake. To get providence, you get the cross. 
What he wants of you is to repent of your sins. What he wants to do is wash you clean in baptism and give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. What he wants of you is to make in you a new creation. What he wants for you is to live a life that's it's not of this world. It's of a heavenly kingdom. But at the core of that, and all of that, he wants you to believe. To have faith in him. And that doesn't just end at the day that you're baptized and you become a child of God. That's for all of us. Every day we wake up believing that He is God. And as the Bible says, He does whatever He pleases. We're going to stand and worship and sing this song. If today is your day to let Him make you that new creation, we have the water ready. Or if we can pray for you to have that kind of faith, or maybe just lift you up because you're going through a circumstance that is so dark. You need help seeing and understanding the providence of God. Won't you come as we stand and sing?